It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. So welcome to this week's edition of The Untold Story. I am so honored and happy to be joined today by Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, He is a priest, speaker, author, podcaster. He has the number one and two podcasts on Apple in all categories on January 9th of this year. He's got 500 million all-time combined podcast downloads. And the only reason I, I say all those numbers is that I hope that it will encourage you, if you're listening to this and you've never listened to Father Mike's message, to just check it out because so many people are checking it out. So you might want to hear what he has to say. That's what my son did for me. And I'm so glad he did because I'm now in the middle of the Bible in Year podcast, which is, um, you know, it's quite a commitment, Father. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's a whole year. It's every day, too. It's one of those where you just have to, okay, here we go again. I know. Hopefully it's been worth it. it, Oh, it's been it's been great. I'm you know, I've. Uh, raised Catholic. I'm embarrassed to say how little I understood about the Old Testament. So that's been an incredible journey for me. Um, really eye-opening. Sometimes there are times when I do kind of my mind wanders a little bit. I'm in Conquest and Judges right now. But um, you're so encouraging and you say like, it's okay. Just get back in there. You can do it. And yep. at the end, you always say, um, pray for me because I'm praying for you and all of us who are in this together. So I just, I find it really encouraging and I hope that people will check it out. And I did start it on January 1st this year, but you don't have to. You can jump in at any time and and do this. So I I guess I'd love for people in this podcast environment to know a little bit more about you because you do say that raised in a a big Catholic family, but not particularly Mm -hmm. faithful as as a teenager. What what changed all that for you? How did you end up becoming a priest? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes it's a mystery. And I would actually the whole thing's a mystery. I would, I'm the fourth of six kids. And uh, as you mentioned, we weren't it weren't like overly Catholic, I guess I'd say it like that. Uh, we were like every Sunday mass, though. So some people that might be overly in their in their their perspective, but for us, it was just my parents said the only reason, only way you could get out of going to mass is if you're too sick to do anything else for the rest of the day. And so I would say that I didn't like going to mass so much that I would actually take that gamble and pretend to be sick multiple times in order to just get out of one hour <laughs> of church. And so I didn't start a great, I went to Catholic elementary school and it was fine, but I, I just wanted to go to the public school because that's where all the girls were, like this whole kind of thing. But then when I, I turned about 15 or 16, I just had, it, it was this, it was one of the top five moments of grace in my life. And I mean, it's now still, it so resonates with me. And the reality is, I had heard all these things about God. I'd heard all these things about like what God is calling us to. And, and I never really experienced God. And one day I just, I don't even know what predicated it. I don't even know how it came on, but I just had this awareness of, Oh my gosh, wait, this is real. I made for better to be more than this. I made to be better than this. And I've failed. Like it was just that sense of, Oh my gosh, like the sins, you know, the 10 commandments and things like that. I knew what they were, but this was an experience of, Oh my gosh, that's what I've done. And it wasn't like anyone came and told me that, like, hey, buddy, this is what you've done. It was just this internal conviction. And it led me to this notion of like, oh, my gosh, shoot, um, I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I need God. And it was like this ding, like all of a sudden I had the question 
for all the answers I've been given. But I'd never cared about the question, right? Because I didn't care about the answers. But now all of a sudden, I really, really have the question. And it was like, oh my gosh, here's the answer. So I remember very clearly, this was like the beginning of like the vocation story, is I knew I needed to go to confession. But I didn't know the rules or anything. So I just knew that where the priest lived, because he lived next to the church. So I, I rode my bike across yeah. town. And it was 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. I knocked on his door. And when he was at home, I always joke because, you know, priests only work one day a week. And um, he answers. And I said, Father, can I go to confession? He's like, sure, come on in. And I sat down, went to confession. And as I left that house, I, had, I was struck by three thoughts. And the first thought was, God, thank you so much that, that I really experienced the sadness of sin. And now I experienced the, the joy of forgiveness. Secondly, God, if you ever want me to be a priest, I will hear anyone's confession anytime they ask. And I'd never, I'd never thought about being a priest before because why would you if you don't like church, you know? Um, but those are the two first two thoughts. God, thank you so much. God, secondly, if you want me to be a priest, I'll hear anyone's confession anytime they ask. My third thought was, oh, she's really cute. And so, yeah, that, these are conflicting like, thoughts. This is a problem. All of that stuff, right? <laughs> and so it just began the whole kind of like the drama of my high school years and college years. But, yeah. but every step along the way, it was one of those moments where just um, no matter how good or how badly it was going, there was that sense of, God, I just want to do what you want. And it kind of slowly unfolded that this is what he was asking me to do. And did you talk to your parents about it? You were 16 when this <laughs> happened. And what, what did, did you say? I think I'm being called to be a priest, mom and dad, or? No, I, I remember when my mom found out because uh, there was like this, uh, a priest from, you know, some other country or some other part of the country came to uh, our parish to, to give like a, a series of talks one night or a couple different nights. And at one point he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm in, I have the sense that there's some, there's a man here, a young man here who's being called to be, you know, the seminary to call it, check it out. And, and I had all these arguments in my head. I'm like, what? He's talking about me. I don't know. And, and then finally, as he was talking, I was like, he's, he's like, I might have to come forward, you know, and we pray with him. And I was like, okay, I just, I'm sitting next to my mom. And at one point I just stood up and started walking down the aisle. And that's how my mom found out that I was kind of <laughs> thinking about being a priest. And so I never like really had a big conversation with them, them about it. But afterwards she was like, huh? seminary huh like i don't know mom (laughs) she's like okay we'll just she just keep praying i'm like okay i will well that that's amazing um it's a great story and did you ever you know a lot of people when i talk to them about being catholic if they're not catholic they say oh you know why why can't priests get married wouldn't there be a lot more priests if if priests could get married what do you 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 obviously had to make that choice it's not an easy choice i know for a lot of young men why did you make it and why do you what do you think about priests becoming or able to be married right yeah and that, i think it's a great question i think it's a natural question right people ask mm-hmm. and it's a question i asked too i'm like what the heck the girl i was dating in high school her dad was a lutheran pastor and so i was like i just you know a dream about like i could be her i mean not her dad like i don't want not that but i, I could be living that life with this man who you know pastor mark and his wife and their kids and just like that'd be so great and it mm-hmm. did seem i mean it, of course it is marriage is incredible it's an incredible call from the lord it's one of the ways as catholics we believe that people are called to be disciples is in marriage and family so it's a hundred percent great call um but i could not recognize that here we are in this and where we are in the history of the church where there is an aspect of um of being called to be a, to be a priest where uh most men uh, there are some exceptions right there are some you know people who maybe they're anglican priests and they become catholic and they can stay married you know if they've been married on some other occasions like that mm-hmm. um but in, we're in a time in history where the church asks men to be celibate as their uh, to be priests. And that was a thing that I had to reconcile in my heart, own heart, because as I mentioned, it was one of those things like, oh my gosh, I'd love to be a priest, except I'd love to be married as well. But there's an aspect there too, where I have found so much joy in it. 
You're right, Martha. Like, is it possible that we'd have vastly greater numbers of priests if they didn't have to, uh, if we didn't have to choose celibacy? Maybe. Um, and would they be better? I don't know. Maybe. But I also know this right now. I know that um, the, the whole process of discerning this wasn't just discerning the call to be a priest. It was also discerning the call to be celibate. And I would say that my greatest fear is probably what a lot of guys' fear was. I, when I, before I went to seminary, my two big fears were, um, A, that I'd be, like seminary would be, a, seminary would be this giant geek factory. Kind of like, you know, you go in a normal person, could turn out just, you know, weird. My second greatest fear was that um, I'd be lonely. And I think that's a lot of times when people, when they see the life of a priest, they think, oh my gosh, you just, I pictured it myself. I pictured it in northern Minnesota. There I am in this drafty old rectory um, as the wind's like whipping across the, the snow-covered fields. And I'm just in my rocking chair um, with this drafty old, you know, with an Afghan and stroking my cap. Like that's all <laughs> looking out the window lonely. I have never, I've been ordained almost 20 years. And I would say that uh, the times I've been lonely have added up to maybe about one hour in the last 20 years. And if I think more people, if they knew that, uh, they might be a little bit more open to that. This is a, this is a life that's actually full of joy. It's actually a life that's full of love. The untold story continues right after this. The Fox news rundown, a contrast of perspectives. You won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day, featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox news contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Easter is this Sunday. We're also in the middle of Ramadan. But a new poll from the Wall Street Journal is getting a lot of attention this week. And it shows that religion is not as important to Americans as it used to be. Just 39% say that it is very important in their lives. This is from the Wall Street Journal, and everybody is talking about this this week. That's down more than 20 points from 62% back in 1998. The importance of patriotism in this country and also of having children, having a family, has dropped by double digits. So what do you think is going on here when you look at these numbers, Father? Yeah, you know, it's, that's fascinating because I think there's a, couple, a lot of things happening. One of the things is, you probably heard this a thousand times, that people are more and more saying that they're spiritual but not religious. And that's, that's kind of a, a, common, a common phrase. It's so many people, and that's why the polls come in, like how important is religion to you? Well, not very, why? But, but if you ask them how important is spirituality to them, that comes in incredibly high. And that, that reveals a couple things to me. One is it reveals that the human spirit, right, that we still recognize that we're made for more. We still recognize that there is something more out there. And so even if someone is saying like, well, I don't really need religion, there's some impulse that no one needs to tell them this. They just, they, they have it. They're holding on to it, that they realize they're made for more. That's the first thing. So if, even if I don't really like the phrase, I'm spiritual, not religious, it doesn't really, you know, I don't think it's enough. And that's the second part. So first, people have this hunger for the spiritual life for more. On the second hand, ultimately, I would say, that, as you mentioned, there is a decrease in importance of religion or a patriotism or even traditional values or family. At some point, spirituality is not enough. Because why? Because it's all about something I invent. And so when it comes to like the structures of life, when it comes to realizing that, wait a second, if all I believe in is spirituality, then my belief is only as big as me. But if there's more, if there really is more, if there's actually a God out there, has he revealed himself to me? And that's where uh, we would say religion or, you know, I would say good religion, true religion comes in. So what does it tell you that 
because I think you're doing a lot to spread the word, to help people understand your faith, to help people understand rules around your faith and, and why they matter. Um, so when you see that you are, you know, number one, number two on Apple with these podcasts, my son introduced me to you, said, hey, you got to watch this podcast, mom. Um, awesome. So is that heartening to you? Do you feel like, well, I guess I'm doing something right because I've got millions of people listening to me? Well, I, yeah, that's the hope always, right? You want to just say, okay, especially as a person of faith, I want to say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? And then to actually do that is the goal of life, right? It's to say, essentially, what will hear Jesus say on Good Friday uh, and Holy Thursday, not my will, but your will be done. So that's mm-hmm. that's the heart of what it is. So that's heartening. At the same time, you mentioned talking about rules a lot. And that's the, the incredible thing, I think, that if I really want to have a real relationship, like with anybody, but if I want to have a real relationship with God, the God of the universe, that's going to involve a couple of things. That's going to mean that I have real rights, meaning I have access to him, that I actually get to talk to the Lord, that I get to actually have a relationship, but also means that I have real responsibilities. And so when it comes to like the rules you're talking about, even in the Bible, it's all in the context of a real relationship. And that's the heart of things. And so if I, if I just want to have like, you know, a, a vague idea of a, the kind of God I've invented, well, then I can't really have a real relationship because there's right. no real rights. There's no real responsibilities. But if God's revealed himself, then I get to not only have a, a real responsibility and real rights, but I also get to have a real relationship. So you say that when you have this decline in in faith in a country like the United States, where we all live, um, that it leads to chaos and that that can lead to more government intervention, that that government fills that void for people. Explain that. Yeah. So is it one of those things where um, if you get rid of the big laws, like, say, the Ten Commandments, you don't get rid of laws. You, they get replaced by a bunch of little laws. And, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, and a lot of the people who, who listen to you know, that here's the founders of our, our country, like John Adams and others, who have said that America or democracy, the experiment, the whole thing, is based off of the idea. It's predicated on the belief that Americans are a religious people, meaning that there's going to be times where um, the government doesn't see what you're doing, where the police don't find out what you're doing. But if there is a Lord, if there is a God who actually knows everything and it actually has a relationship with you and calls you higher, then even if the government doesn't find out, even if the police don't find out what I'm doing, I realize that there is a higher law that I'm supposed to ascribe to or supposed to try to do my best to live up to, even if the people around me aren't going to be able to do that. And especially, what do I turn to? We turn to someone to find to give us our answers and we recognize that if i'm just turning to other human beings mm-hmm. that, that those are going to be the answers i get i'm going to get human answers but if i turn to the lord i'm going to get something more something that i couldn't come up with you know so much of the message in the old testament is about teaching your children and making sure that they yeah. know these stories and that you continue to go back to them all over you know time and time again and that really struck me as a parent i have three kids three grown kids and um you know, it, it has made me sort of more intentional about telling them what I think and feel about things and reminding them about mass and reminding them that it's Lent just to kind of keep them yeah. because it's so easy for especially for young people to drift away. I mean, it's a discipline and they, you know, young people don't love the discipline of it. So, you know, what what is your advice to parents on how to teach their children in a way that's positive and, and makes them yearn for more of this rather than pulling away from it? I know that's probably a two hour answer, but um, what, what comes to mind? 
But it's a great question. I mean, that, that's the reality. And, you know, I always think it's so funny that we just got them talking about how priests are celibate, like they're not married, <laughs> they don't have kids. And you're like, okay, what's your advice to parents exactly. and married people? And, but, but like, oh, what do you know about it? <laughs> right, exactly. This, I know you have a lot of nieces and nephews, like, okay. right? <laughs> I do. I do. And I have a bunch of siblings. And also one of the great gifts uh, of my priesthood has been able to do marriage preparation with so many couples. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, hundreds of couples to be able to walk with them in this. And so there's some insight. And here's what I have to offer. Um, I would say that we, as you mentioned, we so easily forget. We just so easily. God can do amazing things in our lives. He could literally this has happened in many people's lives. He's given the miracle. And we're like, that's incredible. That's all I needed. And then a month later, there we are again saying, well, God, what have you done? You know, And so there's an aspect of what can parents do? I think one of the things that I try to do with our students, because I, I work with junior high, high school, and college age students mostly, is uh, is not just to remember, although that's a big thing. So I invite them, write down, like, what has God done today? Write this down. But secondly, is to notice. And I think that if we were simply to notice what God is doing on a regular basis, like what is God doing in your life and in my life on a daily basis, that we can, if we can see his presence, um, and then capture that, right? And then note it, write it down. That would change everything. Because what we'd be doing is we'd be teaching people around us, in this case, your, our children, be teaching them to be able to recognize signs of God's presence and to be able to recognize signs of God's love. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that when it was uh, that big moment in my life when I was 15, 16, one of the top five moments of grace in my life. But that's not the only time. In fact, o over the course of the following years, I had people come into my life who were able to point out, okay, so... Do you recognize that when this happens, that's that's God. When this happens, that's God. Not just like these strange coincidences or not just strange kind of events, but even in the small gifts. Like, for example, uh, when you and I go to Mass, here we get to hear the scriptures being proclaimed. The Catechism says, that's the Father speaking to his children. And in those moments, I get to stop and say, wait, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you saying to me? And what are you saying to me about today? Does that make sense? So that's that mm -hmm. sense of like, not just noting things or writing them down to remember them, but noticing them. Like, how do I notice God's grace on a daily basis? When we teach people how to do that, then there, there's never a lack of God's presence. And there's never a lack of God being active. I love that. Um, noticing God's presence in your life through little things and messages of grace and things that happen that you wonder sometimes why they happen is I think I think it's a great message. I think it's an active message. Um, your students are so blessed to have you uh, in their life, and um, I keep I keep trying to tell them that. <laughs> um, and, and I hope we can continue this conversation another time. And I, I really appreciate you joining me today, Father Mike, especially during Holy Week. It's a really uh, a special time to have these messages sent all around all around the country, all around the world. Yeah. So thank you so much, it's, Father I, Mike. Schmitz. Well, I'm I'm so grateful for you, and thank you, Martha. I an honor to be able to talk with you and thank you for being so gracious in uh being able to make your time for for this conversation well we, we you're a busy guy and um we're grateful to have your time and uh thank you so much i, I hope we can talk another time and hope everybody tunes in for this podcast so they can hear you and then they go listen to your podcast and maybe they'll do bible in a year uh and some of the other great things Hopefully. that are on hallow and everywhere else um thank you so much father happy easter in a few days you too god bless You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.